Well, this should be good this morning. I hope. Godly hope. You know, there's a difference between human hope and godly hope. Uh, You ever get a chance to read some books by E.W. Kenyon? E.W. Kenyon? Uh, He wrote uh, Practicing, uh, let's see, uh, he, uh, he wrote numerous books about uh, one, two kinds of faith, two kinds of hope, two kinds of righteousness. Two, you know, and it, it just, there's man's kind and there's God's kind. Man's kind is if uh, you say, you're going to be there Thursday night, I hope so. Which means maybe, maybe not, you know. Godly hope is godly expectation of God's ultimate best. You're expecting it. Some people get that confused with faith. Faith brings it into the now. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Watchman Nee likes to say it this way. Now faith substantiates Hope, things hoped for. Hope is an expectation. It's a, it's a kind of a future thing. Faith is now. You bring it into the now. So you need both. Now abideth faith, hope, love. How does faith and love work into it? Faith works by love. Faith works by love. That says in, in Galatians, it also says... It says this, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything. That's talking about man's circumcision. It says, it's neither that. Talking about the law versus grace. But faith that works by love. But faith that works by love. That's what matters. The just shall live by faith is the scripture that thrust the Reformation period of the Protestant movement by Martin uh, Luther. And so uh, faith that works by love, the just shall live by faith. It also says that later on, it says neither circumcision, in Galatians, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision availeth anything but the new spirit, but being born again. So you notice that faith that works by love has to do with being born again. Now, I uh, have, I struggle with what I, I wondered what God wanted me to preach all the way up till 10 minutes ago. And I was still bouncing around. And I finally said, okay. I wasn't, I, I wanted to do a couple of things, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll do this. And there's a reason, and we'll go, we're going to look at this. Uh, Psalms 81. Okay, Psalm 81. Hallelujah. We're going to go through the first verse till I believe the 10th verse, I believe, if I'm not, if my memory serves me correctly. This, this is, wasn't on my list until today. Okay, let's pray. Thank you, Lord. For loving us. Thank you for your word. 
Lord, may your word have free course, grow and multiply among us and in ourselves. May your grace be multiplied to us. And may we see with our eyes and hear with our ears and have understanding in our heart and can see and know what you want to have us to know today. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. All right, Psalm 81. Sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise. One of the reasons that I don't mind singing to you is because I want to be an example of someone that you don't have to, that doesn't have to sound really great to sing. You don't have to, you know, God just wants us to sing, make a joyful noise into him. I have a friend that I work out frequently with at uh, HealthLinks. And his name is Bill Leonhart. Everybody calls him Wild Bill. And uh, he's quite the character. He's also full of the Holy Ghost and tongues talking, God walking, God believing, born again, word believing Christian. And, uh, but he's quite the character too. And he sings. And he's terrible. He sings all the time. He doesn't care because he knows this scripture. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Now, I love good singing and playing. There's a place and a time uh, for good singing. Uh, Our worship team, they're skillful. David played and sang skillfully. Uh, So there's a place for that. Uh, I don't think that somebody should be up here banging on the piano if they don't know how to play the piano or the guitar or any other instrument. You need to be skillful. And if they're going to be leading worship, they should have some skills. Um, So, sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm. Bring hither a timbrel, the pleasant harp, and the psaltery. So we should be worshiping in, uh, uh, with musical instruments. And that includes the instrument of our lungs and the instrument of our bodies. It's dancing. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon. There's another reference to uh, an instrument. In the time appointed on the solemn feast day, we have been appointed by God. A word in the New Testament for the word appointed is ordained. You've been ordained. Another word that works with ordained is chosen. You've been chosen. You've been called. There's a purpose that God has for your life. And that purpose you, we most often think of in terms of works. And we just talked about walking unto the, with the Lord unto all pleasing in this last prayer. 
But when works become your uh, uh, position before God of righteousness, that becomes a problem. You know, I, I, I've uh, had more occasion to study the book of Job in the last eight to eight months than I think the rest of my entire life combined. I think I read it once and I would quote out of it a few, quite a few times. But uh, just to tell you real quick what the book of Job is. Book of Job. All these horrible things happens to Job. That he loses his children. He loses his his livelihood. His his his, uh, his uh, livestock, uh, his home, everything, he, uh, except for his wife, right? And his wife is telling him to go and curse God. <laughs> so you know, she's not being a lot of help at this point. At that point. Then he has these three friends that come to him and they heard about his troubles and they come to him and he's just laying out in what he's got left of his front yard in dust and ashes, uh, uh, grieving, mourning for his children and, uh, and praying. So his friends get down in the dirt and the ashes and They don't say a word to him. They just get down there with him and they pray with him for seven days. Boy, that's amazing. They fast and pray for seven days with a friend. I don't know if I, I don't don't want to say it this way. I don't know if I'm that kind of a good a friend of anybody. Just being honest, that I would get down in the dirt for seven days fasting and praying for with for a friend that does that friendship though doesn't last very long because all of a sudden they begin to think job you must have done something really bad for god to do this to you now if you know this story you know that god didn't do that to him the devil did it to him but you see they didn't know that they're thinking god did it to him and so, you must, have, you must have been really bad. And he says, I don't know what I've done, if I've done anything bad. He starts to defend himself by saying, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that I've done anything bad. I can't think of anything that I've done to cause God to do this. But they don't stop. They just keep pounding, keep pounding, keep pounding. Those good friends turned into not so good of friends. You know. And they keep going. And then he keeps defending himself. And they keep going. And he keeps defending, he starts defending himself more and more and more. And, uh, and then he gets to the point where he even says, have pity on me. Stop. And it doesn't stop him. Now he gets into uh, defending himself uh, in a way that he didn't do before. He, he starts uh, crying about, <clears throat> before I go any further, but, uh, this is going to be critical of Job, but what I don't have any 
right to criticize Job uh, in one respect is, oh, that I would be, could be like Job. You know, I, I, I just, I don't have a third of the, a tenth, a hundredth of the character and quality that Job had. And uh, so this is from a biblical only perspective. Okay. Job starts defending himself by saying, how, uh, why does he know sinners that do this and this and this and this and this, and they don't get punished like he's being punished. So he's comparing himself to other people and he just, God, why do you, why are you doing this to me when you let them get away with this? I know this person does that and this person, how do you, how, why? And then he starts defending himself by talking about how wonderful he is, you know. And I wish there's a couple of verses that we use uh, of Job to describe an admirable quality which we would desire. I hope you would desire. I desire. Uh, like, for example, one of my favorite. Job says, I have esteemed the words of God's mouth more than my necessary food. Boy, wouldn't you love to be able to say that? I love the word of God and desire the word of God and hunger for the word of God and value the word of God more than my necessary food. I've had a problem come on my life. I'm not so sure it's a problem, but I've had a problem come on my life where I can't eat food. I don't eat food. I don't like food. It tastes terrible. Uh, I'm able to drink things, but even that doesn't taste all that great anymore. So I've been forced into a situation where I say, I esteem the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. You know, not forced into it, but driven toward it. That's a good verse. Or how about this one? Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look on another woman. This is before Jesus came along and taught on that. He says, I will not look on, except for my wife, I would not lust for on another woman except for my wife. Two qualities that, boy, uh, those are good qualities in a man. Somebody say amen. amen. And yet... Those qualities are coming out in a period of Job's life to where he is telling God, why have you done this to me? Because I've been so good. Then along comes a guy named name Jehu. Young man. He says he's kept quiet up till now because he was a young man. While all the other guys are, are elderly. And then he comes on and he starts rebuking the friends, because they have not been to Job what they should have been. Now, my first thing is, oh yeah, right. They've been on his back all this time. Which I believe was not such a good friend to be. Okay? That's not what he's rebuking them for, though. 
He's rebuking them because when Job went into this mode of justifying himself because of his life, his godly life, they should have been rebuking him for his self-righteousness. Now, if you know, I think it's in Isaiah 64, it says, our self-righteousness is as filthy rags to God. When Isaiah went before God in the sixth chapter and said, uh, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. His lips, his mouth was the best thing he had going for him. He was a great preacher. He was a great orator. He was a great writer. Some believe he was the greatest writer that ever lived. And yet his best was his filthy rags in the presence of a holy God. Right? George Whitfield once said, it's not the sins that give me trouble in my life. It's those damnable good works. What? Did he just, did he just say damnable? Maybe I did. Damnable good works. What are damnable good works? Damnable good works is when you begin to think that you have the right to stand before a holy God because of your works. Those are damnable good works. Why are they worse than sins? Well, anything that's not done of faith is sin. So damnable good work would be sin. But not sins of what we normally think of as sins. Stealing, robbing, you know, killing. Uh, I could go down the list of the works of the flesh. You know, it's in Galatians. So we don't normally think of good works as being damnable. But they do. They're wor- Why is he saying it's even worse? Because it's more deceptive. You see... You can have things going on in your life that you know, you know those are not of God. You you know when you do something wrong, it's not of God. But you see, when you do something good and you pat yourself on the back for it, if that is your basis for standing before a holy God, you're a man of unclean lips. A woman of unclean lips. Do you get where I'm coming from? So Job gets rebuked by Jehu. He get the friends get rebuked. He's Jehu, and I think personally Jehu. I'd like to take him out behind the woodshed myself. I don't like this guy. I think he's some young punk upstart that thinks he some know know it all. Punk. That's my first impression of Jehu. Then I looked up his name. Jehu means God is. Mm, that's a good name. God is. So anyway, God, finally, God comes along. He rebukes his, the friends. He doesn't really say why. But I think because of all the things that they've done, except for that seven days, maybe, he rebukes them. Then he rebukes 
Job the same way Jehu did. He never mentions Jehu. God doesn't. But he rebukes Job for his self-righteousness. So all of a sudden, that thing whereof I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food, and I've made a covenant with my eyes, and many other things that he says about himself, to defend himself. God says it's self-righteous. Now, there's a place in the Bible where God says, and names three people, he says, and he's given him in relationship to how evil uh, Israel was at that point in time. Ezekiel. And he says this, even if Job and Daniel, what's the third person? Noah. Even if Job, Daniel, and Noah prayed for them, I wouldn't turn my wrath from them. So you see, Job got a pretty good endorsement right there. You understand? And Job came through in the end, and the friends come through in the end. Job prayed for his friends. Instead of defending himself with his friends, he prayed for them. Somebody say amen. amen. Okay. Blow up the trumpet. We'll go back to this. Blow up the trumpet in the new moon. The time appointed. See, one of the things that's time appointed is church. Glad to see you all here coming every Sunday. It's, it's a beautiful thing. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourself together. You know, nothing, there is no substitute for the body of Christ coming together. You know, when somebody, uh, when somebody says something like, oh, I can go out in the woods and get alone and be with God. Uh, anybody can do that. But here's two, two perspectives here. You've heard me say this in Ephesians, the first chapter, in regards to the other prayer that is much like the one in Colossians. Where he says, uh, Paul says, I cease not to give thanks to you and I pray for you that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And it goes on and on and on and on the prayer. And then he says that we would have the spirit, that he gives us a reason for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, in every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. Raise your hand if you're the church. That's right. You are the church, but you are not the church individually. You are the church. In Colossians 2.10, it says that uh, we have our fullness, same word that is used in Ephesians, the first chapter, fullness in Christ. Now, what does that mean? This is the way I would interpret it. You, if you were born again, 
believer in Jesus Christ, you have your fullness in Christ. You are, it uses the word complete in, in Colossians. You are complete in him, plero, the same word. You are complete in Christ. And yes, in regards to that, you don't need anybody else in this world to be complete in him. You don't need the person next to you on the right and the left. You, you are complete in him. But in Ephesians 1, it says he is complete in us. He said that. The fullness of him to the church, the fullness of him. You understand? My friend Phil Borden is saying that we, as the church, are the bride of Christ. And one of the reasons that Adam and Eve were made man and woman, and that Adam made Eve a helpmeet for him, right? just in the same way as the bride of Christ, I am not the bride of Christ. The church is. See, my fullness, I, I am complete in him, but he isn't complete in me. He's complete in us. You see, you see I, can, I can claim all I need is Christ, but he, com, he, com, he says he needs the church. He wants the church. The church is his, just like when Adam was put to sleep, and the, the bride was taken out of him, Eve. Adam was no longer complete without her. Hello? The, you know, so just as Christ had the bride of Christ taken out of him, his side opened up, blood and water came out, and the church was created. Christ is only complete in us, the bride. I am complete in him. He is complete in us. So that's fine and dandy. If I want to go out in the woods and get alone with God and just, you know, just uh, find everything hunky-dory in my life. But if I want to please him, if I want to uh, be for him what he is for me, I can only do it by doing it with you. The bride of Christ. And of course, you know, I'm not talking about just the ones in this room, but with the whole body of Christ. The whole body. The, you know, one person says, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Protestant, I'm an Orthodox, uh, I'm a fundamentalist. You know, I'm a fundamentalist because I believe the Bible. I'm an Orthodox because I believe God is right. I'm a Protestant because I believe in protesting against the devil. And I'm a Catholic because I'm a member of the Universal Church. There's a difference between being a Catholic and a Roman Catholic. If you are a believer, you are a Catholic. You are a member of the Universal Church. That includes 
Some Catholics. Roman Catholics. It includes all Catholics, but Roman Catholics. So if you care about what fills Christ's life, then you can't go out. I'm not talking about a one-time thing, but you can't live your life going out into woods to be alone with God. That doesn't fulfill him. What fulfills him is the church. His help me. I'm not his help me. We are. Amen. Blow at the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on the solemn feast day. We come together to worship the Lord. You can worship him alone. But if you love him, you will worship him with the, with the church. I know I'm preaching to people that actually shouldn't. I shouldn't be stepping on too many toes here. Next verse. Okay, we got it. For this was a statute for Israel. Statutes, precepts, judgments, testimonies. There are many words that use to talk about the word of the Lord. Uh, But this is not talking about just the law. We're talking about what's right and wrong here. This was right. We come together to worship the Lord because it's the right thing to do. It's the morally right thing to do. We come together and worship the Lord because it's right. Not because we want to, although we should want to. If you know the Lord, you should want to do this. But it's the right thing. A law of the God of Jacob. You know, there was a lot of laws besides the law of Moses. That's why he refers back to the law of God of Jacob instead of the law of Moses. This is predating the law of Moses. See, there are some laws that still are in effect. For example... You jump off a building. There's this law. It's called gravity. You're not going to defy that law without some consequences. And this is a law. Next verse. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony. We talked about they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. We worship the Lord because he is good. Because it is the right thing to do. Because he is God. Ordained in Joseph for a testimony. When he went out through the land of Egypt. If you read Hebrews, one of the most amazing things about Hebrews, especially Hebrews, the fourth chapter. It talks about entering into God's rest. I, uh, I call it, uh, uh, the Hebrews, the fourth chapter, I call it the uh, honeymoon chapter of God. Because it's, uh, there's, four, there's two words that are used throughout the chapter to start a particular subject in it, and it's called let us. Of course, you know, you know what 
uh, honeymoon salad is, right? Let us alone. You know? So I just give that as a memory jogger. Let us alone. I'm not going to tell you what Dr. B used to say when he used to say, uh, without the dressing. Um, Honeymoon salad is let us alone without the dressing. I'm not going to tell you that. Because... Oh, wait, my wife's not here, so I'll be all right. It's okay for me to tell you. It's, he would say, uh, honeymoon salad is let us alone without the dressing. <laughs> honeymoon salad. Let us adore. Okay, anyway, there's four let us in there. And the let us is there start off with, actually, let us fear. Lest... The, uh, that we would miss the, of the entering into God's rest. And he goes on to say in, uh, that in other places in Hebrews, that the whole thing that happened to them in the land of Egypt and coming out of the land of Egypt, though it all happened exactly the way the word says that it happened, the entire thing happened for our benefit so that we could learn from what they did right and what they did wrong. Imagine that. Three and a half million people taken out. Look at the many years that they were in bondage there and then brought out of Egypt. Or the, the whole thing. The entire thing is a metaphor or symbolic of your personal relationship with God. (laughs) Do you get, you know, of course, God moves heaven and earth for his sheep, for his people. But you get this one? The whole thing, it says, was done, it wasn't done for them. Yes, it was. But it wasn't done for exclusively them. It was done, the three and a half million people in slavery in Egypt was symbolic of my personal lack of a relationship with God before I get saved. Do you get it? And then coming out of Egypt with the ten plagues and then into the wilderness and then eventually into the wilderness... Even the Red Sea, passing through the Red Sea, it says, is symbolic or a metaphor of our water baptism. I have a a friend. How many of you remember Floyd Baker? Yes, quite a few. Really good friend of mine is his brother, Cecil. Cecil Baker. Played bridge with him. <clears throat> He's really a, a sweet, sweet man. And he says, uh, so I'll say, uh, if I'm commenting about Cecil, I says, you know, ever since he parted the Red Sea, I've really thought very highly of him. Does anybody get that joke? No? You don't get that? Wait, did you ever see the movie The Ten Commandments? 
Cecil B. DeMille's was the director of that. And he did that scene in about a foot of water where he used air and a foot of water to film that scene where they part through the Red Sea. And they pile that water up and it looks like it's like a mountain high and it's just being held there by the power of God and, the, and all of Egypt passes through the Red Sea. Wow. And I always kid around about Cecil B. DeMille's. The movie was The Ten Commandments. Charlton Heston, surely you've seen that. Please tell me you have. Cecil B. DeMille's, he, de- he parted the Red Sea. Only he parted one foot of water. <laughs> he parted that Red Sea. <laughs> you know the story about the, the guy reading the Bible. And he's so happy and so happy. And somebody comes along and says, this atheist comes along and says, what are you so happy about? So I'm reading the Bible. <laughs> it's just a bunch of lies. He says, what are you reading? He says, I'm reading how God parted the Red Sea and the children of Israel passed between the two pieces. You know, what they didn't tell you is that part of the Red Sea is only six inches high all the way across. So it wasn't any big deal. And the guy just kind of... So the atheist goes into this place, it comes back out, and this guy's so happy, 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 happy. He says, what are you happy about now? He says, I just read how God drowned an entire army of the Egyptians in six inches of water. What an amazing miracle. No, it wasn't six inches of water. It was one foot of water. It was a mountain of water. And God, but he didn't do it. He did that for us. That's a a sign of our baptism. It says in Hebrews. So let us, that whole thing was an example. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt. This is in the Old Testament, Psalm 81, talking about how we worship the Lord for what he did in Egypt for Joseph's family, Israel, the nation Israel. He didn't even know what it really meant. He's talking about my personal salvation. God saving me. That was just a physical, literally happened. There was a literal purpose then, but the greater purpose was so that you could see how great it was that God saved you. And there's even bigger things, but it says this, where I heard the language that I understood not. This kind of sound like tongues, doesn't it? I removed his shoulder from the burden, setting him free from thing. But does it sound like your personal relationship? If it doesn't, please come forward and get saved. His hands were delivered from the pots. The pots is what they made the bricks in and uh, in slavery. 
and uh, working their fingers to the bone for just barely surviving in slavery. That's what is like being not saved is. Next verse. Thou callest in trouble and I delivered thee. They were crying for, you know, uh, whether you knew it or not, you were crying for help. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Again, referring to some things that happened then, but happened in your own life. I proved you at the waters of Mirabah. That means I have tested you and proved you and you came through. How did you come through? You got saved. What a big deal, huh? Through Jesus. That's right. Next verse. We're going to get to something really cool in a minute. Hear, O my people, I will testify to you. I'm telling you something that's going to be really incredible right now, coming up. O Israel, if you will hearken unto me, if you will listen to what I'm saying, O community gospel, Oh, Christian, if you will listen to what I'm saying, if you will hearken unto me, there, and we're going to stop with this one verse, there shall no strange God be in you, neither shall you worship any strange God. This is a very unusual verse of scripture inasmuch as that it is both a command and a promise. It's a command And a promise. How is it a promise? If you will do what is said in 1 to 8. Worship the Lord. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. For all the reasons that it gives in the next few verses. Then there won't be any strange God in you. Both a commandment, and a promise. If you will worship the Lord, there won't be any strange God in you. That's a promise from God. If you will do these things, you will be observing the commandment, and there won't be any strange God in you. Do you you catch that? Neither shall you worship any strange God. If you're ever worried about, see, this is the thing. If you're ever worried about whether or not, you know, you're going to fall into some kind of worshiping or covening or uh, worshiping something outside of God. That may happen, but it won't if you worship God. See, God inhabits the praises of his people. I, uh, many of you know this story. Uh... I go way, 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 way back, 1973. And um, I was struggling with a problem, fighting the enemy, fighting the devil. I was a young man, and uh, I was around, around a, lot, a, very, a lot of pretty girls, and I would lust with my eyes. So I was fighting that. And I would fight it like this. Whenever that would come, I would rebuke the devil. Right? Notice it says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. But I would rebuke the devil. 
And it seemed like I would have to walk away, which is scriptural. Flee youthful lust, the Bible says. So I'd have to walk away, turn to walk away. The only problem was, as is, is you know, the one part of that story is uh, I went out. I was standing, it was, I was living in a kind of a communal, Christian communal. It wasn't a permanent thing. It wasn't a cult, communal type situation. And uh, I went out to the front steps. I was in Amarillo, Texas. And I saw uh, the guy that was the director of our program, Terry Hale, talking to a very attractive girl sitting on the curb. We have curbs that you can actually sit on in Texas. And so they were sitting on the curb talking to this girl, and I noticed that she was very attractive. And I just kind of made a, you know, uh, retreat, about face, they call it. To the rear march, you know, in the military. I turned around, went the other way, because I did. What I didn't tell you, though, is up till now, is that I felt compelled to go down and talk with her, myself, just to share with her. Now, I want to say this much. Had I done that, nothing may have availed of, any, of it at all. But I felt compelled to do it, but I turned around and walked away from it. That night, she took her own life. And I felt like all because I took that burden, all because I had this problem that I couldn't overcome. So I was really, really concerned about the problem after that. Prayed a lot, prayed a lot. Rebuked the devil a lot. I'm laying in my bunk one afternoon, taking a nap, uh, Saturday, if I'm not mistaken, because I did have a job that I worked from eight to five. And so I'm laying in my bunk, and I'm, um, uh, I fall asleep. I wake up, what I didn't know is I was dreaming. It was like I woke up. A young man came in to me, he stayed at the program, and he says, over at Trinity Baptist Church, they're having a seance. Me, being God's man of power for the hour, said, I'll put a stop to that. We'll go over there and stop that. So I go to Trinity Baptist Church, and they're having it in the basement. And I walked into the steps. I'm telling you, it was as real as if it happened right here in this room. I, it, 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 it was that real. And there was, they, they were holding a seance. And the ones that was officiating had these like ceremonial, sacrificial robes that they have in these ooey, gooey, these ooey, scary horror movies, you know. And they're all, you know, chanting and everything. And so I stood at the top of the steps, just like our steps go down in the basement right over here. I stood right at the top end and I pointed out and I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. They laughed at me. They <laughs> just turned around and they started laughing. And then they started mocking me because I kept saying, I said it louder and louder and louder. And they would mock at me. Ah, in the name of Jesus. Ha, ha, ha. And I looked at my friend and I said, I think we better leave. <laughs> 
So I came back. I went back to the house. I said, I'm going to go upstairs to the third floor and talk to Terry Hale. I went up to the third floor. He wasn't there, but when I opened the door, these same hooded figures was in that office waiting for me. And they grabbed me, and they threw me down into this chair, and they started to tie me up, and I really screaming, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Didn't work. So I didn't know what to do next. So I just said, well, he that prayeth in an unknown tongue prayeth mysteries to God. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself, builds, builds yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So I just started praying in tongues as fast as my lips could go. And then all of a sudden, I felt this compelling urge to worship God. And so I raised, I tried to raise my hands. And as I'm raising my hands and they're pulling, they're pulling on me to get them down. I said, I praise the name of Jesus. It says in Psalm 1, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens, out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. Thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still, that means shut the mouth, of the enemy and the avenger. What, what shuts the mouth of the enemy and avenger? All power comes out of the mouth. You see, Maybe symbolically, uh, if somebody can't speak, they still have the power. Okay, I'm just saying, you, even in the uh, Revelation, it says the dragon opened his mouth and out come these frogs to curse the earth. So the mouth is the launching pad of spiritual weapons. And so I said, I praise the name. It says, out of the mouths of babes and suckling, thou hast ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest still the enemy and the avenger. What is it? Jesus actually quotes that verse and he says, have you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings? Thou hast perfected praise. So I praise, I said, I praise the name of Jesus. Soon as I said that, soon as that come out of my mouth, their hands, they had to release me. God inhabits the praises of his people. And so I just started praising the Lord. And they would grab my arms when I would get quiet. And they would pull on, and I would say, praise you, Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise him, praise him, my Lord. They begin to scream. They would begin to put their hands over their ears and scream. And then they would, they begin to exit like Popeye was knocking them out of the, through the walls, you know. If you've ever seen a Popeye commercial when he gets in a fight and he's knocking them. Man, they were going through the walls, exiting the place as fast as they could get out of there. I woke up. My hands were in the air. I was drenched in sweat. And I was still praising the name of Jesus. Instantly, I heard from the Lord saying, 
from now on, when you run into this problem of yours, it won't be a problem of yours if you praise me. So instead of rebuking them in the name of Jesus, I just praise the name of Jesus. I'm not saying there's not a time and a place for rebuking demons in the name of Jesus. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if you haven't had the worship relationship with that name, you may not really understand the authority and the power of that name fully. Hello? Worship the name of Jesus. If you worship me, there will be no strange God in you. Neither shall you worship any strange God. I heard this sermon message on a cassette tape that I got by Judson Cornwall. Judson Cornwall, and there were a few others, a couple others that was nationally known for preaching and teaching on the subject of praise and worship. He got this message basically for two reasons. One is he would, get, he would be invited to go all over the world to speak. And he would wonder, should I go to this church? Because it's a big church, maybe the offering will be really big. Or should I go to this little church because... I don't want to go because of the offering is going to be really big. And he'd be in a quandary about which ones to pick. And then God showed him this verse of scripture and the ones before. And he just said, well, here's the deal. You worship and praise my name. You worship me. You'll be in the right place at the right time. There won't be any strange God in you. There won't, you won't worship any strange God. You may have heard of another nationally known speaker, Iverna Tompkins. Iverna Tompkins. I've listened to many, many teaching tapes by Iverna Tompkins. Powerful, powerful. Iverna Tompkins is Judson's Corn, Cornwall's sister. She led the worship in Judson Cornwall's church. Right? She would start sometimes, she'd start worshiping, it seemed to be dampening. So she'd start rebuking the devil. So Judson Cornwall, through this whole experience with these verses, he says to himself, well, God says to him, you know, it's getting longer and longer where she has to cast demons out of the place because they're coming to your church because everybody's heard about how much attention you give them. She says, they love it. She says, worship me. Don't worship them. You know, one time, you know, many of you know who Smith Wigglesworth is. Apostle of faith. You said before your time, he died in 1947. That's the year I was born. I always thought, Lord, I want, maybe I got a touch from, from him. I don't believe in reincarnation, but, you know. Smith Wigglesworth heard a noise 
downstairs in the living room. And there shouldn't be anybody downstairs in the living room. So he went, goes downstairs, goes into the living room. And you know the story. He saw the devil rocking in the rocking chair. And do you know what he said? Oh, it's you. I thought it was somebody important. Turned around and went back to bed. So there's the two experiences. I Vernon Tompkins, he says, no, let's don't cast demons out anymore. Let's just worship God. Because God inhabits the praises of his people. Stop giving the enemy that attention. They, they even like negative attention. Sounds like some politicians I know. There shall no strange God be in you. Neither shall you worship any strange God. Wow. You know, we prayed a while ago. Uh, a prayer for these kids ends up, you know what the last verse in that prayer was? That I stopped with. You could probably keep going. There's probably more. It says, who has delivered us from the powers of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. See, I've been delivered from the powers of darkness. And I've been translated into the kingdom of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We worship God. Now we're going to worship God by breaking bread together. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We worship you. In spirit and in truth, we praise the name of Jesus. We praise your name, Jesus, Savior. We praise your name, Christ, the Anointed One. We praise your name, Lord, uh, Adonai, the Exalted Sovereign God. We worship your name. We worship you, Jehovah Nisi, as we've heard. Our banner. We worship you, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. The name that was given to you when you provided the sacrifice instead of Isaac for for, uh, Abraham. Hallelujah. We praise your name. We worship your name. And we praise it because you've set us free to do so. In Jesus' precious, wonderful, glorious name. Amen.